Uh, we are wrapping up um, a series, a four-part series that we've been doing here entitled Jonah. We've gone through and we've been going through the book of Jonah, dealing with each chapter. And so we're coming to the last part of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. And so I'm going to ask that you would turn your uh, Bibles or your, or your phones, your apps or tablets to Jonah chapter 4. And while you're flipping or scrolling to getting to Jonah chapter 4, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Uh, uh, dear God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for who you are. You're an amazing God, a God that watches over us and protects us and calls us and shakes us and stirs us to be uh, your, your follower. Uh, Father, open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive your word, to receive your truth, that we walk it out and live in the glorious power and calling that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would uh, honor God's word as we read it. Would you please stand with us as we read Jonah uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you would... I knew, you, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted, if what I predicted, if what I predicted will not happen. Amen. You guys may be seated. What a weird way to start off a passage of Scripture. <laughs> What in the world's going on here? Um, let me kind of explain and give you some background information. Um, we have this story of Jonah. Um, God has asked Jonah or has told Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to share in a way that their lives would change. And uh, Jonah wants no parts of that. He can't stand the Ninevites. He doesn't like them. Um, they're, they're horrible, mean people to his people, and his people don't like them. And so Jonah decides to hop on a ship going in the opposite direction. And as he goes on this ship in an opposite direction, this great storm comes. And so Jonah ends up going into the sea. And, and when he goes into the sea, this giant fish comes and swallows him up. There he begins to repent and recognize how wonderful God is. Of course, when you're in trouble, how wonderful God is, how amazing he is. He's saying, I want to change my heart. I want to change my ways. You're the God of the universe. Why wouldn't I? And I should definitely serve you. Uh, this fish spits him back out onto land. And last week we talked about Jonah being obedient. Uh, he goes right back to the city of Nineveh where, God, Nineveh where God had called him to go to. He preaches this message of, of, of life change, and the people of Nineveh uh, begin to change their lives. We talked about how obedience, and when we're called to obedience, and when we are obedient to God, great things happen. We see that the people's, uh, people's lives are changed in the city of Nineveh from great to small. The king and leadership's mindset changes. Um, their, their way they process and live life changes. Uh, we see God's miracles in hands when we are obedient to God. And Jonah walks away being used by God because he's obedient to God. The problem is Jonah didn't want the city of Nineveh to be saved. And so we start off chapter 4 recognizing that Jonah is in the middle of a grown-up tantrum. I don't know if you've all had a grown-up tantrum before. There's a few folks. But he has this grown-up tantrum. The issue is, and I think this is probably one of the greatest lessons that you and I can learn when it comes to reevaluating ourselves and our motives and who we are, is because this lesson that Jonah shows us in chapter 4 is really significant to who we are as humans. What he shows us in this passage of Scripture is that you can be obedient 
and you can follow out God's plan, but you could care less about God's plan at the same time. Let me say it again. You can be obedient to God's plan and His will, but you could care less about His plan and His will at the end of the day. Jonah didn't want these people to be saved. Jonah didn't want these people to be delivered. That's why he went a thousand miles in a totally different direction, but he gave in to God. He surrendered to God. He recognized who God's authority was, but at the very end of the day, he was obedient to God, but he didn't care about what was happening. And God says, and he wants to show us that this is a major problem that you and I deal with from time to time, that a lot of times we're obedient, but we don't really care quiet already. Woo! There have been hundreds of times when, when uh, let's reduce that number. It's been five times in my marriage when I've really tried really hard to <laughs> reduce that number. Uh, when I've tried really hard to, to just go along and just, I want her to be happy. I want her to be successful, but I don't care. It's not what I want to do. I hope, I can't wait for us to go out this week. You're going to have a great time this week, and I'm excited about going out too. I'm not really excited. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm secretly hoping that somebody's tires pop. So there's no injuries, but somebody's tires pop, and they can't make it, and, and we end up going out to dinner or this event, and I'm smiling and pushing through, but I don't care. I'm high-fiving and shaking hands. Oh, yes, great, great. Love your meal. Great cook. Go on. I don't care. I don't care. And so I followed along, and I looked like I was doing my part, but at the end of the day, there was no real serious compassion and connection to what I was doing. Has anybody been there before? Husbands, don't raise your hands. Just kind of just, just give me that. Give me that. I got you. And it's the same thing with us following God's will. There are times when we are so obedient and faithful to follow God's will and His call, but at the end of the day, we legitimately don't care. We're doing it because we ought to do it. We're doing it because He's the God of the universe. We're doing it because uh, we heard about it in church last week, and so I guess, you know, I just uh, we do all this stuff, and we submit, and we surrender, and we obey, but at the end of the day, we don't care. And this is one of the greatest lessons that we get as a human. I want you to, to read through this passage of Scripture again. Uh, uh, watch Jonah 4, uh, 1 through 3. Let's read it again one more time. This, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Stop, stop, stop. stop. Look at him. Oh, wine, wine, wine. Do you guys see that? I knew you were going to save these people. I knew you were going to be compassionate to people. I can't believe you did it. Grown man, hissy fit. And we as adults have all had this temper tantrum. Well, why would you call me? Why would I knew, I knew, I knew. I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to be a part of this. I knew, I knew, I knew. And we have this hissy fit. Keep reading. That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you... I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He says, listen, you are a God of mercy and compassion, and the last thing I want is compassion and mercy for these people. What a selfish thing to say. And what a very true thing that we say when it comes to 
our wives or our husbands, when it comes to our parents having their way, when it comes to the soup. It's all these things that we wish that we had. We wanted it our way, our style, our mentality. We're hoping it wouldn't happen. And the God of the universe decided to show grace and mercy, and we're mad because he did exactly, and he lived up to the character of who he is, and that makes us so angry sometimes. Why? Because I have plans for that person to fall down steps and trip down another set. I kind of have this in my mind where they go, boom, hit the landing. I want every bone broken. I want everything that can happen to them possibly to happen to them. And God is showing this mercy and grace, and I'm so angry at it. And so what does Jonah do in this moment of anger and, 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 and frustration and in this process of being so bitter, he does something that a lot of you and I do when we get upset and we want our will and we want our way. We do what point number one says. We camp out in our bitterness. Watch this. Verse number five. Then Jonah went to the east side of the city and made shelter to sit under while he waited to see what would happen to the city. So he knows that God is going to be merciful because he preached this message. He was obedient to God. And so what he decides to do is he's still hoping that somehow calamity will come. He's hoping somehow destruction will still come. And so he goes up to the side of this area and he builds himself a shelter. And he camps out in his bitterness. He sits there hoping and wishing and waiting for all of this downfall to take place. He can't wait. He's praying in the inside, God, I know you're merciful, but please answer my prayer. It's it's this conflicting, you guys see what's happening here? It's this conflicting situation where I know that you're a God of mercy, but I hope that you bring down full wrath on these people. God, I know I say it's your will, but I'm hoping secretly my will will be done. And so Jonah has camped out. He's built himself a shelter. What I see from this passage of Scripture is not only has Jonah built himself a shelter, but he's investing in being bitter. Wow. He's got resources. He's got tools. He's put some time and effort in building himself some kind of place where he can rest and watch his hopeful destruction, his hopeful dream come true. Everything that he's hoping and wishing is opposite of the Lord, but he has invested time to sit there and watch and hope that it'll happen. He's invested in his bitterness. He's put his time and his effort. He's camping out in this bitterness. How long have you invested in your bitterness? How long have you invested in your thoughts, in your hearts, in your desires, in your secret hopes, in your secret wishes that this thing will happen that you know is not of God, your feeling is not of God, but you and I have invested too much time, too much money, too much resource, too much worry, too much concern, too much hope, too much desire, and something that God never called us to desire for. And that's the destruction of people. That's the downfall of people. That's your will over his will. How long have we invested that our will will outwill God's will? It's pretty deep. We will sit there and pray all day long that I know what's right and righteous, but I just want a little taste for me. I'm just the only person. Don't worry about it. It's cool. <laughs> I, I know what's right, but I want my right. Do y'all, this in the text. I know what's your will. I know he said in verse 3, I know that you're compassionate. I know that you're merciful. I know that you're quick to save. But I'm going to sit here. I'm going to camp out. I'm going to invest in hoping that you would somehow give me what I want despite what I know you want. I would rather you give me my desire than I know your ultimate desire. And he invests. He camps out. 
He spends time in this hoping and wishing and desiring for his will to take higher command and call over the Lord's will. And point number two is how God is so amazing. God covers us in our foolishness. Watch verse 6. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased, this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was grateful for the plant. Let's stop and let's, 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 let's take a second here to really look at what's going on. Jonah's angry. Jonah's, up, Jonah's upset. He's frustrated. He has built himself um, this shelter in this hot desert place. Because he has camped out and he's invested in hoping for the worst for people, hoping for his will and his desire to come out, hoping for his negativity to be won out. And he's camping there, and it's hot in this desert place, and the sun is beaming on him, and it says that the Lord grows a plant that spreads this, this, this leaf around him. It gives him this shade that protects him from the sun. You guys are with me? And Jonah says, he says, Jonah, right there at the bottom, says, Jonah was very grateful for this plant. Why was he grateful? He said because it protected him from the sun. It protected him from his discomfort. The only person this discomfort, this, this, uh, this, uh, that's a good word, the only person that's uncomfortable is Jonah. And Jonah is uncomfortable because he's deciding to stay in a position God never called for him to be in. Y'all see that? He's uncomfortable because he put himself in a position hoping and waiting for something to happen. And because he is hoping and waiting for something to happen, he is totally uncomfortable all by his doing. And the Lord comes and says, even though you are in an uncomfortable position because you put yourself there because of your own selfish desire, I'm going to still what? Cover you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to try to bring some ease to your dis-ease just because you're in the wrong place. And I want you to know I'm still merciful even when you are foolish and painful to yourself. Send the text. I'm right there. and make anything up. So Jonah's frustrated. Jonah's hurt. Jonah's angry because he put himself in an angry position. And the Lord God could have said, I'm going to let you be as uncomfortable as uncomfortable can be. But he says, I'm going to still show you what? Mercy. I'm still going to protect you in your foolishness. Wow. It's deep. Watch point number three. This is my favorite part. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint, and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he explained. God uses circumstances to show us our heart. Jonah has camped out, placed himself and invested in his bitterness, his foolishness, his own attitude, his own thoughts. He's put his desires above the Lord's desires. He's camped out. And he's uncomfortable because he put himself in his own uncomfortable position. And so the Lord says, I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to give you some shade even though you've made bad decisions, even though you've made bad choices. I'm going to cover you and still love you even though you put yourself in this predicament. I didn't do it. You did it because you wanted your will above my will. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he, puts this, he puts this cover around him and he shades him. And it says the next day. Y'all catch that? 
So Jonah's been camping out all day. The Lord puts him some shade over him at probably the hottest part of the day, try to ease his uncomfort, his discomfort. And then the next morning, he's still there. And so what does the Lord do? He sends a worm, and the worm eats up this leafy plant. And this worm destroys this plant, and this plant falls down. And now Jonah is really, really mad because not only has the plant fell down, but there's hot heat, wind, hot, hot wind is hot. (laughs) And he's mad because it's hot, and the sun, and I'm sure it's starting to peel, and there was no SP-48,000, there's nothing you can put on him, and it's just hot. His skin is peeling, he's hot, and he's mad. My AC broke in my van right after the car accident I had. The insurance people say, bring the van back up to me. We'll look at the AC. If we determine that the AC broke before the accident, then you got to pay us for us checking out your van. But if the AC is on us, then we'll fix it. Financially, I ain't got a chance to roll the dice like that. I just don't have it right now to figure out if I'm by OU money for something that may have broke or may not have broke before the AC, even though the AC was working fine until the car got an accident. Y'all with me so far? It's going to be hot tomorrow. Hot. Hate heat. Hate it. Not built for the heat. (laughs) It's not a heat body right here. And I can only imagine, I'm already thinking about heat. And this dude is in the middle of heat. In Bible days in the desert, it's going to be hot. Amen. And so all this heat is on Jonah, and the wind is blowing heat on him. And I can understand his frustration to say, man, I'm so hot. And the one thing that was giving me shade, the one thing that was giving me this covering, this one thing that was protecting me, it was easing me, has now removed itself. And I'm highly upset, and I'm frustrated, and I just want to die. I'm so mad. And I think we've all been through life circumstances where we're so mad, I just want to give up. I'm just tired of fighting. I'm tired of hanging in here. Ah! I don't have words for what I feel. And God uses circumstances to show us our heart because all of a sudden, this light bulb is starting to click. The zone is just mad. He's angry. He's frustrated. Why is he mad, angry, and frustrated? Because he has a will that he's trying to push above God's will. He has a desire that's trying to push above God's desire, and he's mad because his desire and God's desire aren't matching, and he's mad and he's angry, and it's all his fault. And God uses the circumstances of life to show us our heart. He uses the circumstances of life to allow us to wrestle with who he is. How do I know this? God uses aggravating things to reveal his truth. Back in the olden days, they used to have this, this, this tub kind of thing. And then they had this little washboard kind of thing. Others were people like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they would take the soap and they would take the water, and they would take the clothes, and they'd put it against the washboard. Y'all ever seen any of this before? Like, y'all see the old cartoons? Come on, come on, somebody work with me. And so they would put the soap and the water and the clothes, and they would rub them together on this washing board, right? And why would they do that? Because they understood that the soap and the water wasn't enough to clean something. You needed to rub it against something to agitate the soap and agitate the dirt out of the clothing. You guys with me? 
And God uses circumstances to rub up against us in a certain kind of way that agitates our life to dirt starts to come out. We have to start doing this process where we see life change take place. We see life change take place through aggravation a lot of times. It's hard to give birth without going through some pain. aggravating, agitating, I don't like it kind of pain. It's hard to go two months to three months to six months to nine months aggravated. This thing growing and moving and shaping, is it, it, it's pain. Guys, if you ever been with a woman that's been pregnant, can you go get, oh man, I don't want to go out here and get, got to go get it. Why? Because she's in pain. So we're in pain together. She roll over, I roll over. That leg come on top of you because she got sciatica and, it just, and it's here. How uncomfortable you feel is how I feel. It's all uncomfortable. You got all that pain. <laughs> and sometimes it's not even really your pain, but their pain is your pain because you got to dwell with them. With uh, All right, okay. And so God uses circumstances to agitate this stuff out of us. And now Jonah's here being agitated. Jonah's being frustrated. He can't understand what's going on because God is saying, you know what? I've given you enough grace in your foolishness. Now I need you to figure out big picture. Here's big picture. Point number four, we need to have God's compassion. Watch Jonah 4, 9 through 11. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because a plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 100, uh, 120,000 people living in it, living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all of the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Wow. God says, I've given you mercy, I've given you grace, and you have more concern about your own particular mercy than 120,000 people. You're more concerned about you being comfortable than these people living in a life that, where their life may end, where, where sin may take them over to the point where they are erased from the planet of this earth. You're more concerned about you and your situation and your happiness than these people. He says, are you serious? And here's Jonah before that going back and forth, arguing in conversation. I'd rather die than be here. I can't stand my life. I can't stand my situation. I hate you. They're going back and forth with this argument, this conversation. God is using a circumstance to agitate the heart of Jonah where he has to talk to God. And I don't know if you've been in life problems hard enough or long enough that when you get so frustrated, you have no other choice but to talk to who? God. God has frustrated Jonah so much that he has to talk to him. And God says, now I can use this moment as an opportunity to show you, are you more concerned about you than the lives of people? Are you more concerned about your will than these people having an opportunity to live? Are you more concerned about that attitude or that fight that took place a month ago that you can't talk to your wife anymore? Bam, gut shot. 
Are you more aggravated with that situation that you and, and father and son can no longer talk together, cohabitate together, sit together, do lunch together? Are you that more concerned about your will and your attitude and your problem and your frustration than you can't get past it? You can't even pray for that person, person's individual situation? says, I want you to understand, I get that you're mad, I get that you're frustrated, I get that you don't like the history, I get that you don't like the past, I get that you don't like the problems, but all of those things still require mercy. All of those people still require prayer. All of those people still require 18th and a 19th and a 22nd chance. All of those people still desire a little covering and a little mercy, the same mercy I gave you when you were trapped in your foolishness. I'm in the Scripture, guys. You guys are giving me such tough faces today. I'm in the Scripture. I didn't add anything to that. God says, I'm concerned about the 120,000 people, just like I'm concerned about you. I love you and cover you with grace and mercy, and I want to love and cover them with grace and mercy. And I get that you may not like all of them or who they're connected with or who they're affiliated with or who their uncle or auntie is. But at the end of the day, I want mercy and love for each and every person. And I want each and every person to experience it. Can you have the same compassion? I know you didn't like what said in the argument. I know you didn't like how they treated you over the course of time. Can you still be compassionate? Can you still be loving? Let me show you how much God loves. Watch verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Y'all see that? Not to mention all the what? Animals. God even cares about the animals in this city. Not just the people, but the lives in the city. Why does he care about the lives of the city? Because he created the lives. And because it's his, he cares about it. Watch, watch this, watch this, watch, 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 watch. My kid will come home and tell me, somebody lost five dollars at school today. They weren't able to pay for lunch. I'll say, wow. That sucks. What were they able to do? Were they, somebody work something out? Were they able to get lunch? Well, I don't know. I just know they lost $5, and that's what happened. Wow. My same kid will come home and tell me, I lost that $5 I had that we were about to go to the comic book store. And I will... Get up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. check your pockets, check your shirt. Do you see my concern for $5 when it's somebody that belongs to me versus somebody else's $5? I didn't offer to pay for their lunch. I don't know, I don't know little Jimmy. I'm not going to give him $5. They got a mama. Somebody, somebody can give him some lunch. But if my kid told me they're missing $5, I will tear that house up in that car. We'll flip seats over. We'll look for headphones. We'll do all we, I don't, let's go. Check the washing machine. Check the dryer. Go back through the hamper. Let's go again. I'll work with you. I'll do all I can to help you find your $5 because it's mine. Why wouldn't the Lord of the universe want us not to be concerned with each and every person and each and every life? 
because it's his. Life doesn't always treat you fair. People don't always do you right. Your wife don't always cook for you right. <laughs> Love you, Rosie! Sometimes your husband's just a jerk. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. She's in a mood. I'm a jerk. I got other words to use, but I'm a jerk today. Stop talking. I'm a jerk. (laughs) Sometimes I'm just a jerk. And guess what? She can focus on me being a jerk for the next 10 years of our marriage, 30 years of our marriage, or she can get over it and I can work on me and we can get over it and we can be more successful. You know what I wish? Oh, this is a really bad... There are more people that had compassion that I dropped my cell phone. (laughs) If we could get people in life to look at other people like they were cell phones. (laughs) If we could get other people in life to view people, oh! Why? Because we recognize the importance of a what? Cell phone. We value a cell phone. We know how much information, how much data, how how special that cell phone is. Everything is important about that cell phone. And so when we see that cell phone fall, when you heard that pop, you said, oh, people say, ooh. You got any, any lines on your screen? You okay? If we had people that could value other people like we value our cell phones, if we were compassionate like we were about that phone that's not even yours, I only have some of y'all numbers. And some of y'all still, oh! (laughs) That's where we need to be as Christians. That's where we need to be as believers. As many times as that cell phone has blanked out on me, as many times as that cell phone won't pick up the stupid Wi-Fi. If she's broken, I'd be hurt to death. Why? Because even though she's messed up time and time again, even though this cell phone won't give me every response I'm looking for, even though this cell phone has caused me to miss important calls and text messages, it's still valuable to me. And regardless of how it's done me wrong in my most important moments, it won't give me the link to my messages to my pet. I'm still. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was a risky one right there. <laughs> it's still valuable to me. When it times out, when it doesn't, when it does what it's supposed to, it's still valuable to me. Can you and I start viewing people in our circumstances and our situations above my will, above that person, above that people group, above that relationship that they have? Can I get past all of that to say, you know what, no matter how much I don't like you, no matter how much we didn't get along, no matter how much marriage is starting to, no matter how much your kids and parents are seeing differently, can we still value each other enough to have compassion for, to pray for? to love, to be obedient, to surrender.
to submit, to commit to making you the most valuable person that there is. Here's your takeaway. Celebrate God's grace and compassion. Celebrate God's grace and compassion. It is hard to get over people that have done you wrong. It is hard to get over feelings and attitudes and perceptions. But God gets over all of yours. God gets over all of yours. And even in your worst states and even in your most bitterest moments, he's still willing to cover you and protect you and give you a little protection when you're way outside of his will. And he loves you enough to agitate you just to have a conversation with you, just to bring you back to him. Some of you guys are going to say, well, Pastor, four weeks ago you talked about kicking people off your ship. You absolutely should kick them off your ship. You also need to be obedient enough to God's grace to know when it's time to let them back on. You also need to know when you are spiritually mature enough and protected enough that you can invest in having a relationship. doesn't mean a relationship where you get to come meet my heart again, but it does mean a relationship out here. And if this is as far as we can go, that's fine too. But there's not a person I've ever thrown off my ship that I've never thought about or prayed for. Because even while they're swimming in their waters and in their troubles, I'm still hoping the God of the universe will have compassion and will save them and will bring them back. Celebrate God's grace and his compassion for your life. Message for today, subtitle, view people with cell phones. Bam! Brilliant <laughs> illustration. Let's pray. A God of the universe who is awesome and holy and amazing, would you, Father, Allow us to see people like you see them. We've hurt you. We've wronged you. We've offended you. We've upset you. And yet you still show mercy and compassion and grace to us. Would you allow us to be the same way, to overcome this flesh, to overcome these feelings, be the man and woman of God, the example, not just an obedience, but a total desire to love your people and to love people the way you so call us to that we would have compassion, heart, and feeling, and desire for life change. It is going to be difficult in some cases. It's going to be frustrating in some moments. Give us at least the heart. If we can't see, if we can't, if we're not ready to see them or talk to them, give us at least the compassion to pray that they would get right with you. If we're still wounded, we pray for healing in our souls and our minds and our spirits. And, Father, give us compassion. Give us enough to say their names in our prayers that you, Father, would make them right with you. That in them becoming right with you, they would become right in every area, in every vein of who they are, that they would walk in the fullness of you. Father, if we can't take them physically, mentally, or, or, or we can't take them verbally, Father, then at least give us passion, at least give us desire to pray that they would submit themselves in every arena for salvation. And if they're saved, that salvation would drip in every facet of every part of who they are. Let that grace, let that mercy touch them. Give us enough grace that in that area we can at least utter their names. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.